Well, good morning again, everybody. We're glad that you're here, and happy Thanksgiving week. Um, you know, there are uh, some things from childhood, just random things, that somehow just seem to stick in your mind. You know what I mean? So for me, one of those was something that was written in my dad's Bible. So if you open up his Bible to the very first page where nothing was printed, just kind of a blank white page, he had something that he had written in there in his perfect block lettering kind of handwriting. And it said, property of the Lord entrusted to Roger Alexander. And even though I was pretty young, I, I understood most of the words, I think, but I really didn't grasp the bigger idea of what that was all about. And after a few years passed, I kind of began to figure out more what was in his mind when he wrote that in his Bible. And it comes from Psalm chapter 24, verses 1 and 2. And here's, here's what that passage says from the book of Psalms. It says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. And if that's true, the really everything is God's, then that means nothing is ours, which puts us in the place of actually managing God's stuff. And I think as managers, you know, it, this might be a little bit oversimplified, but when I think about our role as managing what we have been given on this earth, I kind of see it in, in three different categories. And that is like one is time. Like we get to manage our time. Every single one of us is given 24 hours and we get to choose how we're going to spend each and every minute of that time. One of the other things that we manage is relationships. So God has put people into our life and we get to choose how we are going to live with them and how we're going to love them. It doesn't matter if they're family or friends or coworkers or neighbors, whoever it is. And the last one is our resources. We manage resources. So all the stuff that God has put into our possession, we get to choose if we're going to store it, sell it, use it, waste it, whatever it is, the choice is ours. And so as we look today at wrapping up this series called The Secret to Life, we've been focusing on that last one, that idea of us managing God's resources. And so that's where we're headed today, that we are the managers of God's stuff. So today uh, we're looking at a text in Mark chapter 12. And Mark 12 is, um, it's in the gospel of Mark, obviously, which is Mark's story of Jesus' life. And there's about 30 years of Jesus' life and ministry, and there's 16 chapters in the book of Mark, and it's not evenly distributed. So as a matter of fact, the first about 30 years is put into the first eight chapters, and the last few weeks is put into the last eight chapters. And so as we come to this story in Mark chapter 12, Jesus has come to Jerusalem and there's a lot of detail that's told about Jesus' time just before he's crucified, which brings us to the story that we're at for today in Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 44. 
<clears throat> it says, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. So you've got the picture here of Jesus and his disciples in this temple courtyard, and they're literally watching people come and put in their offering. Now, this isn't a weird voyeuristic sort of thing. It was just a very public place, and if you were giving an offering, you went to one of the 13 boxes, and you would put in your offering, and most of the people who were there could see what you gave or maybe hear as you dropped the money into this box. And often when you hear this story, when you hear the story about this widow, the focus is on this widow and the fact that she gave 100% of everything she had. She gave it to the church, so to speak. And even in my Bible, when I, when I look in Mark chapter 12, when I look at those verses, the little title at the top of the story says, The Widow's Offering. So it's easy to imagine where some religious leaders today might go with a story like that. You know, someone, she's really poor, but even though she's poor, she still gave everything to the church. You kind of have an idea if someone read that story where they might be going with a Sunday morning sermon, right? But what if? What if there was another focus that Jesus actually had in mind? What if it's about much more than just this widow? Because with any story that you hear, you really want to know that you're getting the whole story. It's not an exaggeration to say that every single part of the Bible has to be heard and understood in its right context because there are always details that inform us about the conversations and the words that are written in the Bible. And it requires a look at all those, those surrounding details so that we can really have a true understanding of what's being said. Now, you can have a laser-like focus on a verse or a few verses, and it's not always a bad thing, but it's possible by doing that that you might miss the bigger idea or you might miss the most important point that is actually being made. So it's clear, there's no doubt about the fact that Jesus is talking about this widow, but maybe the better question is, what is he really saying about this situation? So what I'm gonna do is, I want to take you on just like a short tour of what's been going on with Jesus right before this story. Because if you go back in your Bible, if you turn back a couple of pages, what you'll see is that Jesus has this ongoing conversation with religious leaders. So if you go back into chapter 11 and you go to verse 15, you can see the beginning of this conversation with Jesus and these religious leaders. And in the beginning, in, in, in chapter 11, verse 15, this is a moment when Jesus has just overturned the tables in the temple. You probably remember that story, right? There were people who were buying and selling in the temple courtyard, and he turns the tables over. And immediately after that, it says that the priests and religious teachers begin planning how to kill Jesus. So right there, you see the tension beginning to build. 
You go forward just a little bit more to 11, chapter 11, verse 27. It says, the next day, these religious leaders who had probably witnessed Jesus turning these tables over, they came and they confront Jesus and they said, who is it that gives you the authority to do these things? Move forward again, chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Jesus has just told a story, a very candid story, which points to the hypocrisy of religious leaders. And these religious leaders, when they hear it and they know that Jesus is talking about them, they try to have him arrested and they try to trap him with religious questions. Move forward again to chapter 12, verse 18. It says, right after that, they came again with some theology questions and they're trying to trick him into saying something they could use to take him to court for. Then move forward one more time to chapter 12, verse 28. And someone, one of these religious leaders comes with not so questionable motives. And he challenges Jesus with the question. He says, What's, what is it that's the most important law in all of the Old Testament? Go then to chapter 12, verse 35. In the temple courtyard, Jesus is talking to his followers. And the people who are following Jesus, they ask him questions about the religious leaders. And Jesus' response is scathing, brutal, as he talks about these religious leaders. So in Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 40, these are the verses just before the story we read about the woman and her offering. Listen to what Jesus says to these religious leaders. Beware of the teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces, and how they love the seats of honor in the synagogue and the head table at banquets. Yet, they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be more severely punished. All throughout the Bible, you see that, it, that there is a consistent pointing to four specific groups that God has extreme compassion on. People who are very, very vulnerable. He talks about widows and orphans and migrants and the poor. And the reason they were vulnerable is because it was almost impossible for them to really take care of themselves. Now, the truth is, by God's design, family is the first line of defense. Family are the ones that God hoped and planned to take care of you when life caves in. But clearly, widows have no husbands, orphans have no kids, migrants have nobody because they're in a country that's not theirs. And so what happens is they fall into this, this trap, this vicious cycle of poverty. They have this economic disadvantage that they literally can't overcome, and they need someone to help them. And so what Jesus is saying here is the same thing that he said throughout history in the Bible, that in the case there was a person who has no one to care for them, no one to support them, whose responsibility is it? It would be the responsibility of the religious leaders. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 14, God has given some very specific instructions to those people who are religious leaders. And he said, when, when you take up these offerings, there's a certain offering that should be set aside so that you have funds available to take care of the people who are in need, people who cannot take care of themselves. So when no one else could care for widows and orphans and migrants, the religious leaders were supposed to be the last line of defense. And yet, as you just saw in what we read, these leaders, these leaders were not only not helping, they were the ones who were hurting. They were the ones causing the pain in the lives of people like this widow. I'm not, I'm not sure what it says about me, but I, I like this genre called true crime TV. I like to watch these shows, and there's one thing, though. There's one, one kind of story that I find very, very fascinating, but fascinating in the worst kind of way, because some of these stories are the, what I would consider the most horrific. So one of them was about a fire chief, and I believe he was out in some place in California, and he was going around quietly sneaking in and setting fires as an arsonist and then watching as firemen and all the departments came to try to put out the fire. I saw one of a nurse who was literally like injecting poison into the IVs of her patient and intentionally watching them die in front of her. I saw a story of a judge who kills his own family and then tries to cover it up. You see, to me, that, that's next level kind of horrific. And the reason I say that is because, this, because of this. As bad as it is, as bad as it is that those kind of things would ever happen by anyone's hand, it's crazy to think that a fire chief who is essentially designated to be, who is supposed to lead in the defense of people against fires is the one who's actually starting fires. And that a nurse, someone who is actually given the task of guarding against sickness and, and hurt in the lives of people is the one who's injecting them with poison. And when a judge has not only killed his own family, but he's trying to cover it up, someone who is supposed to stand up for justice over injustice. So that's what makes this so criminal for these religious leaders was they, they were the people who were set in place by God to make sure that people were cared for if and when no one else could. The truth is we, we really don't know what it is that they were doing when it says that they were cheating widows out of their houses, their property. But we do know this, that they were stealing the assets of these widows and probably other people and these people were living in the very worst kind of poverty. So in this story, when you see this woman, this woman who is in the worst kind of poverty, and after she's given her offering, has literally absolutely nothing left, all fingers point to the religious leaders. The real truth is, Jesus is pointing out, as they see this woman give her offering in the temple courtyard, Jesus is pointing out that this woman should never have been in that situation if the religious leaders were doing what they were called to do. It's the very worst kind of religious malpractice. So for all of us who have wished that at some time, at some point, 
someone would preach a message against all those greedy pastors and people who are trying to squeeze money out of people. Well, here you go, from Jesus himself. And what is it? What is it, we ask? What is it that we do with that? Well, let me just say, one thing among many things that I love about this place is that our books are open and there aren't any secrets with financial transactions. But I'd also say this, we're, we're not a perfect church. We don't pretend to be and we don't do everything perfectly. As a matter of fact, in one of our recent meetings, one of the discussions was about how can we do a better job at communicating what's happening financially around this place. Not to try to squeeze money out of people, but to keep people informed as far as what's happening. Another thing that I love about this place is our Westridge Cares team. That's the group among us that is, this brings compassion and help when people are hurting and when they're in need. Those are the kind of people who don't just react when they hear about something, but they proactively go and find, many times, people who need help. If you see a place, if you're looking for some application, if you see a place where leaders hide financial transactions and leave needy people in the lurch, leave them without being cared for, I say run. Run far and run fast. But I think it's also fair to say that if you see a place where financial things are clear and open and that you see that life change is actually happening in that place, it's not just an anomaly, but you see people's lives being changed because they come into an encounter with Jesus and they're a part of a community of people, then I would say feel free to give generously to God's work in that place. But what about this woman? Because clearly Jesus is talking about her and the story points to her. So what is it about this woman? Jesus talks about her giving, but I believe that Jesus is pointing to something much bigger, something more important than her giving. You see, the amount that she gave was meaningless. Here's what I heard recently. The amount you give to God is meaningless. What God looks for is for you to give an amount that is meaningful to you. You actually probably heard that too because Darren said it right here two weeks ago. And you might be thinking, uh, Scott, why don't you write your own message rather than plagiarizing Darren? But what I want to point out is this. I'm hoping that you'll see that no matter where you look in the Bible, there is a consistency in the way the Bible talks about how we manage resources. So if it's not her giving, what is it that we're supposed to see in this woman's life? I think what Jesus is pointing to is her complete trust in God. This woman is like literally down to her last two cents. But she has not given up her hope on what God can do. And I think when we read that story and we see this woman's life, it kind of pushes us for, it, for me to ask myself and for you to ask yourself, what, what's the condition of my faith? Or maybe even better asked, like, how much do I really trust God? It would be good if we learned lessons from the hardships of other people, but for many of us, it just doesn't happen. We, we, learn, 
when we hit rock bottom, and sometimes it takes rock bottom before we actually know the condition of our faith, or we hit rock bottom before we know we need faith. And maybe we'll have to get down to our last two cents. I I hope that's not the case for us, but the truth is, we can be easily swayed to trust in something other than God. In Jesus' teaching, he explained the kind of promise and the kind of care that God gives to us when we choose to follow him. And it's kind of remarkable to me because in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus is explaining that, how it is that God cares for us, he, he, he says, look at the birds. I mean, just look at those birds flying around up there. A few barrel rolls and turns and twists. It says, they, they don't plant, they don't harvest, they don't store anything in barns, and yet God takes care of them. And Jesus continues on, and he asks a question, and he says, and aren't you far more valuable than they are? And we're all thinking, we hope so, Right? We hope that's a rhetorical question. Yes, we hope that we are on a different level than these birds. But the the truth is this, is for some reason, and I'm not sure why, I'll, I'll just speak about me. For some reason, I think I doubt the truth of those words. No matter how many times I've heard them, I sometimes have this doubt that creeps in, like, is God really gonna take care of this? And it kind of came into a, A way that I could describe it as I was thinking about that this week, I thought, just imagine if I met Elon Musk. Got no idea how that would ever happen, but just pretend with me. I meet Elon, and not only do we meet, but we actually kind of get to know each other, and we we develop somewhat of a friendship. And at some point along the way, he says to me, hey, Scott, old buddy, just want to let you know, sometimes life gets tough. And if you ever find your place where you're between, find yourself when you're between a rock and a hard place, I just want you to know, all you got to do is ask. I'm thinking, what would my response be if someone like that said that to me? And I was a little bit ashamed to say, like, I I sort of feel like, big sigh of relief. Or I might think, man, I got nothing to worry about now. And yet, when the God of the universe, the same God who created everything that exists, says to me, if you will just simply put your complete trust in me and seek my ways above everything else, I will give you everything you need. But somehow, somehow I still doubt. I think that's the reason that Jesus points us to the life of this woman is because her incredible faith And her complete trust in God, even in the most difficult times, is the way that God wants us to live. Because when we do, we live freely. We live without fear and without worry. You know, when my my boys were little, giving gifts was a much different process than it is now as they're grown. When it was my birthday and my boys wanted to give me a gift that, you know, meant Lindsay would take them shopping and she would take them to the store. They would pick out the gift. They would bring it home and they would wrap it. They would put it on a table. And then when the candles were blown out, 
One of my boys would grab the gift and come walking over to me proudly that they had a gift to give to me. And they had this look on their face just beaming that just says to me, like, Dad, we know you're going to love this gift. So I'd open it, and I'd do everything but somersaults trying to show them how much I loved their gift. And I really did love their gift. But there was a reality that they didn't realize back then. As, as great as the gift was, and as much as they loved giving it, and as much as I loved receiving it, in reality, it was kind of like giving a gift to myself because it came from my bank account, if you know what I mean. But in spite of that, nothing could have made me happier because when I saw their faces carrying that gift, I knew exactly what was in their heart. And I hope it's not news to you, but right now in your life, it's the exact same thing between you and God. Every single thing that you have in this world, it's his. So you can feel free to let go of the things of this world and hold tightly to the things of God because it all comes from him and there's more where that came from. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. 